Hey, well, it really is a pleasure to be here, and I know everyone always says that when they come, but for me, it's something special because we've known Matt and Jacinta for about 20 years now, um, knocked around in the vineyard movement for that time, and there's a real affinity in my heart for Coast Vineyard because we too are from some churches 30 minutes north of a big city. So um, actually, we're from South Auckland, technically, uh, in a little suburb called Christchurch, which you might have heard of. Um, originally, and um, I know that's how you guys think of us. Um, but really, um, it's also quite cool. We monitor and kind of track what's going, what God is doing here and what, what you guys are up to. And I uh, just recently saw that you turned five. Woo! And so that's something to party as a church. You know, it's not, it's not every day someone kind of steps out of the, their comfort zone and starts a brand new family of God, a brand new gathering, a community of people that follow Jesus and live in a very alternative lifestyle in this culture. And so I just take my hat off to Matt Jacinda, the team, everyone who's involved here that makes this happen, because it takes real courage and it's not always easy, but it's the most, one of the most precious things you can do with your life is invest in God's family and seeing it go forward. In your time and in this place in the Hibiscus Coast, which is a special place to be, uh, I know. And so, bless you guys, it's a real, th- real cool thing for me to be here with you today. And I love that worship. Man, that was lovely. So bless you guys as you led us in worship this morning and the team. Uh, I just love connecting with the Lord. You know, I heard a, a few who, like me, probably know how to make a joyful noise to the Lord, but maybe can't hold the notes perfectly. And it was great to hear others joining in with me in that. Um, You know, last time I came here, and it's just exactly the same, but last time I came here, I was walking down that steep driveway, and some kids ran past, and they literally yelled out, Yay, church! (laughs) And I was like, mate, you guys are doing something right. You know, when the kids are actually excited to be running down to hit the church on a sunny morning, and and I want to just, again, honor you just to see all the kids playing and just the vibrancy that's here. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing and uh, something that's really inspiring to be able to come and be a part of. And also excited about your future, this new facility um, next year. It's a big moment. Facilities and sound systems and all that sort of stuff seem boring as heck sometimes, but they're all, as Matt said, tools that enable the church to grow. You guys are making room for others and opportunities for people to connect, and I know that's going to be a great forward step for you as a community. Um, And so uh, this morning, Matt's informed me that you've been chatting about friendship, kingdom friendships, and and going through a series. And um, and who's learnt something over this season talking about friendship? Who's learnt something? Hands up. Man, that's great. Young young hands, old hands learnt. Isn't that cool? It's funny because I think our culture actually has some problems with connection. Um, And we see that expressed in our horrific mental health and suicide statistics. We've also got a deep problem in our society, in our culture, around our generations, haven't we? And we don't have to look far to see that there's big rifts between us generationally. Now, a few years back, Rich Nathan, who's uh, the pastor of Vineyard Columbus in, I want to say Ohio, it is, yep, uh, spoke, it came down to grace and he shared with us as leaders about intergenerational church. And it really stirred my heart. I've got a large family, I'm, you know, um, I've got 26 cousins on one side. It's pretty, um, and I grew up with, you know, hanging out with these guys. And I got to experience something really rich in the diversity of generational connection and family. And only when I grew up did I realize how unique that was. And as a church, sadly, I think sometimes we, re- we reflect our culture in disconnection relationally and generationally, don't we? 
um, and we reflect our culture and our inability to hold down great friendships when there's disagreements specifically. Who, who knows as Kiwis when there's conflict in relationship, we're quicker just to bail, aren't we? It's easier just to go find some new friends, cut them loose. But to dig deep and press in and resolve conflict and grow together is a challenge. And generationally, we've got some challenges here. Now, it's, there's sometimes some really funny moments in this. And uh, I, saw, I saw this uh, Reddit thread, uh, sort of this battle of the generations go down, and it was hilarious. And I just wrote down a few of the, the highlights of that thread. And one of the, um, one of the uh, baby, it was like boomers versus millennials. You know, who know, you know, the generational name tags, you get your baby boomers, the sort of the, the, sort of the 60s children, uh, and the millennials, it's the new age young people of today. And the boomers had some things to say about the millennials. It starts with, first of all, how to confuse a millennial. Show them a first place trophy. <laughs> how to confuse a millennial. Tell them your number is in the book. <laughs> how do you confuse a millennial? Ask them to call you from the phone booth. But boomers taking on millennials is just like a bad recipe, you know, on, on Twitter and Reddit. Like, it's a recipe for disaster, right? Because who's the master there? It's like playing the All Black City in Park. And, you know, and one millennial writes back, I'm already confused. I didn't know this many old people use Twitter. <laughs> Another one said, this is cold, accuse us of being reliant on technology while you sit there on life support, right? <laughs> anyway, we have a unique challenge in history today as a church, because in, in the 1900s, the average life expectancy was what? Have a guess what the average life expectancy was in 1900. Lots of noises. 60, lower. 50, lower. In the 40s. I turned 40 yesterday, FYI. Like if I was, thank you, made it. Yeah, big moment, big moment. And uh and I thought, shivers, man, I'd be fearing for my life if it was the 1900s. You know, things have changed. But nowadays, so in, in, the, in that generation, you know, zero to 40s, and culturally it was really similar. There, weren't a lot, there wasn't a lot of cultural um, diversity within one, you know, um, so European culture was very, very similar. And so people understood each other right up to the older generations. And the older generations had a lot to contribute for the young people who were growing up in that culture. They knew it best. And today that's really different. We can have up to six generations in a single church. I mean, like you guys, we've got people that are like from zero years old to like 70, like Matt. And, um, and so you've got this massive diversity in ages and stages. And so we have like in the generations, the six generations, like there's the traditionalists, which is, you know, like these are the labels of the generations, people born before 1925. Then we have the silent generation, 1925 to 1945. I think you'd be pretty quiet about life too if you'd been through the horrors of that war. In 1946... To 1964, we have the boomers, the baby boomers. Who's a boomer here? Give us a shout out. Yeah. Go, you good things. Um, a lot of you. And uh, because they were getting busy after the war. And 1964 to 1980, we've got the Gen Xers. That's me. Who's the Gen Xer here? Yeah. And so you guys remember, like, you know, uh, yeah, all the good things, basically, of life, you know, Walkmans and what now, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we have from 1981 to 2000-ish, the millennials. Who's an 81 plus millennial? Hands up, you guys. Yeah, I love you beautiful people. You are going to mold the world into something better for the future. And the generation I, which is what they're kind of coining the phrase of uh, the coining the generation from the 2000s plus. My kids are all the I generation. So things have changed a heck of a lot in those 90 years. 
And I've been to a few parties recently to, that have highlighted this. I went to my Nana's 95th birthday party, and that was off the chain. And um, we had our kids around, the family there. There was lots of amazing photos. And my Nana was playing with balloons with the little kids. It was a precious moment in our family as my 95-year-old Nana um, had her party. And then I had my son, Max. He's six today. And uh, so we've been celebrating his, his little birthday this morning. And he's the I generation. He's texting my Nana. He's texting his Nana, you know, like he, literally he's six and he can text Nana. Um, and then I went to an engagement party the other day and there was a lot of man buns and beards. And you just kind of, you know, this, I had this weird snapshot, like my Nana, you know, like hipster sort of, you know, uh, you know young adults. And, and then these little kids growing up and there's some real differences. You know, I had a moving experience as I, and I experienced this difference firsthand, and it was bizarre and it was unique. I actually got done professionally made up to look like a man in his 90s. And uh, a lady in our church did makeup, and she did my hair lack of. She put a skull cap on, I got full on made up, and it looked legitimate. I wish I could show you a photo, actually. If you want to see afterwards, I'll bring, I'll, I've got it all on my phone, but I should have probably put it on the big screen. That would have been smart. Smart preacher. Matt would have done that. Um, and, uh, and I got professionally made up to look like this really old digger, and I, got a, I had a mobility scooter, and we were at an Easter camp, and it was part of like a, a filming video thing they were doing, and me and my friend, Christoph Zinsel, who's a pastor of the Story Vineyard in Wellington, got dressed up as these old diggers. And the thing that surprised, it was moving. It was actually an emotional experience because I became invisible the moment I stepped out of the tent after the makeup came on. And I was driving around on my mobility scooter, and you become aware that people notice you when they don't. <laughs> and as I drove around on my mobility scooter, I was invisible to the teenagers. They didn't bat an eye, they didn't look my way, not once, not even when I came right up to them. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and they would ignore me. And I was absolutely shocked as I had this unique opportunity to walk into the shoes of someone in a much older generation. And it made me appreciate and realize just how different things are. I had a conversation when I was a youth worker. Have we got any youth workers here? Any of you that work with young people, teenagers, of any, anyone, come on, hands up, be bold. Yeah, I've got like a couple of hands. They're out, they're out, right, doing what they do. Sure, that makes sense. That would be, yeah, no, I should have figured that. So, awesome people. And, um, yeah, what are you doing in here? That guy, <laughs> do your job, man. And, um, no, messing. I was at a barbie and someone asked me what I did and I said, look, I'm a youth worker. This is going back about 15 years. And I was just starting out um, in youth ministry, uh, and they, I said, look, I'm a, I'm a youth worker. I go into high schools, and I run a youth group, and, and she was relieved. She breathed a sigh. She says, oh, my goodness, thank God someone's doing something about that problem. <laughs> yeah, that, I was stunned, and I realized that's the problem. <laughs> the problem is the disconnect we have generationally. You know, I was really encouraged, though, just a couple of months ago, I got to speak at a youth camp run by these legends in Blenheim. And people from Blenheim are a little bit different. I don't know if you know that. But if you meet them, they really are. And they run a youth camp. And the youth group was thriving and pumping. And they, they, got, about, they got about 100 young people, and about 50 of them are straight from the community. have never been to church before. have never been to a Christian camp before. And they're at this camp, and it's called Winter Playground. And we snowboard every day, and then they got me to preach at night. I thought that was a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do that. And, um, and so when we were there, I, I got to meet all the youth leaders. And half the youth leaders were over 55. Half the youth leaders were young adults. 
and the resources and experience that these over 55s brought to the table, they had they had food trailers, like you wouldn't, they had kitted out these mean food trailers. They would roll up to the ski field. They had, they had personally purchased all the old hire gear from the ski field so that no kid had to pay to rent gear that came to their camp. And so they gave them all the hire gear they needed. They opened up this food trailer and it was a, like, it was a feast. You know, we ate like kings up on the mountain. And I thought, these old dudes, these older saintly men, should I say, senior, mature in the faith. And they were reaching back and caring for a generation behind them that most of their age group would just turn a, turn a blind eye to and see as a problem. I thought, gee, there is hope when people care across the generations, when the divides get reached over. And I believe with all my heart that the burden of responsibility, we're going to get to the Bible in a minute, by the way. <laughs> if you're worried about that, he's not speaking from the Bible. It's coming. I'm talking about, I'm just framing this around culture. But I do believe that it's culturally, and I think biblically, the responsibility of the older generation to reach back and care for the young across the generations. There is a burden of responsibility for those that are ahead in the faith to reach back and care for those that are a few steps behind. And, I, and we see that in Scripture. We see that is just true in life. A young person's not going to bowl up to you and ask if they can come around for lunch. But they will say yes 90% of the time if you ask them around for lunch. Because what teenager doesn't want a good feed, right? Guys, am I right? Am I right? Teenagers, come on. Like, who's keen for a mean feed? I know you are. Um, and so let's have a look at Acts 2, verses 4. The church was born by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and we see God's design from the very beginning for the church. Acts 2, verses 4. The Holy Spirit's been poured out in power. People are experiencing this wave of the presence of God, and it's a wonderful thing, and it's spilling out into the streets, and people are touched in the thousands, it turns out. And Peter stood up with the 11 disciples. He raised his voice and he addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. No, it's only nine in the morning. This is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. So God's purpose is seen in Joel. And it says this in 2 verses 28. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Can you guys say all people for me? It's, like, it's nice to get some feedback. Um, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants. So like, notice the, notice the, the, the boundaries that are being crossed here. On your, your sons and your daughters. In a culture that was sexist, that's a big deal. In a culture that valued men above women, that's a really big deal. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams. Your old men will your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. About three years ago, I had my first sort of prophetic dream. And I was like, that's it, I'm old. <laughs> it's, it's happened. You know, I've crossed the line. There's no returning. You know, I knew at that moment, you know, something had happened. Even on my servants, so slaves. And there was a sort of socioeconomic, you know, crossing of the divide happening here. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy and they will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And so Peter is standing up and he's saying, guys, this is, this is what God has always had in mind, that, it would be, that he would pour his spirit out on all people and it would cross all the boundaries that our culture and our societies create and that no one would be on the out. So this is God's purpose. And you can see how this applies generationally. You know, Rick Warren, um, you see sometimes pop up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or stuff, you know, this quote, and it goes like this. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is to love someone means you agree with everything they believe, say, or do. Both of these are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. 
That's actually a Rick Warren quote. That's actually been attributed on Facebook and Twitter. I've seen this dozens of times to the Dalai Lama, to like you know famous poets and historians, to Theodore Roosevelt. This is Rick Warren, man. <laughs> you know the big guy. All right, go Rick, old Uncle Rick. Um, but it's true, and culturally we struggle because we look at different people and we don't understand them. We look at a generation behind us or ahead of us. I think young people are highly critical of older generations. You know, you've stuffed the planet. Arr! You know, and the older people look back and they don't understand young people and what they're doing, like getting tattoos. You know, my dad's generation, if you had tattoos, you're a criminal. You know, my generation, if you wear tattoos, you make great coffee, you know, <laughs> and I like you. And so things have changed so much generationally, don't, hasn't, hasn't it? And so because we don't understand, there's a divide, and sometimes that divide separates. But in the kingdom, we're called to cross those divides for the sake, in the spirit which unites us, and for love which calls us to be family across generations. The kingdom of God has always been about bringing people into God's family and breaking down walls, whether it's gender, rank, age, or cultural, Maori or European. Guys, in the last, in the last 12 to uh, 28, 12, 14, 14 years, 26, it began as a youth worker. I went up to Waitangi, and I realized that I was a man riddled with prejudice towards Maori, our tangata whenua. I, wouldn't, I, I refused stubbornly, like my family before me, my, farmer, my farming background, family before me, I refused to use the correct, named, the correct pronunciation of Maori names because I thought, why do I have to change? I was disrespectful to the core towards Māori, but I didn't realize it because my prejudice was a blind prejudice. Who knows what that's like? And if, you know, guys, in our country, we battle with this. This is actually one of the issues we face, and this is not my message today, but I do, but I do want to bring it up because we are called to cross cultural, generational, you know, um, gender lines to, 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 for, in the name of the love of God. And sometimes we need our minds renewed. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And, and generationally, this is an area. Culturally, this is an area. I want to challenge you to, to learn what it is to pronounce Māori names correctly. This is a small thing, but it means a lot to tangata whenua. It means a lot to, to Māori. And for many who know their stories and know their history, who have lost a lot of mana, respect, care, and honor. And for us to at least pronounce the names correctly communicates respect, care, and honor. I'm sorry if that clashes a little bit with my message today, but it is actually something I just felt to throw in there. Paul affirms and confirms this in Galatians 3, verses 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you are all baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves in Christ. You know, that, this is the, that we together, brothers, sisters, family, generationally, culturally, in, in, in every respect, we are family, and it's, in, and it's the Spirit that brings us together in this work. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free anymore. There is nor there is male or female. What a statement in that culture. You've got to understand that to get that. There is no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs. We've got an inheritance according to the promise. We all have an inheritance. And whether we're broke now or whether we're really wealthy, isn't that good news? <laughs> you know, for those of us who are on the, you know, those of us, what am I saying? For those of, those of you who are on the bones of your bum, this is good news. That actually in this life, you know, we, we, we experience it differently. Culturally, gender, um, generationally, whatever it might be. Health even, we experience it differently. But we all, we are all ears, this incredible promise that one day we get to walk in resurrection life. 
And this is not some pie in the sky before you, you know, when you die sort of a thing. This is an embodied reality that is as God intended from the beginning and is role modeled in Jesus and his resurrection. And it's our greatest hope, isn't it, that we carry in our hearts, that one day we'll walk with him, that we'll rise with Jesus. And we are all inheritors of that. That is good news. So God's intention for the church was never that it be just for one generation, one culture, or one gender. God's intention for the church would be that it crosses the boundaries. You know, I had this, uh, uh, I met a guy at a pastor's gathering. Every now and then as a pastor, you get together and you have, you have savories with other pastors. It's really exciting. And, um, <laughs> and we had this, one of these such gatherings, and there was this, you know, splattering of pastors from all the denominations, and that's quite cool. I really do like that. It's why I go, and I prioritize it. But I'm chatting away, and I'm eating my savory, and chatting to this pastor and he's, I said, so tell me about your church. And we're chatting away and I'm um, getting to know one another. And, um, and I said, what do you, and he, and he, I think he asked me what the vision is for our church. And I said, and I said, what about you? What, what's kind of the vision for where you guys are? And he goes, well, our vision is really just we want to help the older saints die well. And I thought, you know, that's lovely, but it's broken. It's lovely, but it's broken, isn't it? You know, in my family, I've got 26 cousins. Imagine if we all, our vision was just to help Nana die well. You know, we are going to help Nana die well. That is our heart, but that's not the vision. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I thought, gee, that's, a, that's sad. There's no sense of future for children, and there's no children in their church. And it's, a, and it's, a, and it's sadly, a smaller, it's, that church is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Its influence and its impact and its care and its community is reducing over time as the old ones die well. You know, and I think, what a sad story. What an incredibly sad story. And tragically, that's actually the case of many churches all around our country is what's happening. You know, um, I went to another church recently, and I think this is just as broken. I couldn't see any gray heads in the whole church. It was a Sunday morning gathering, and there wasn't a single gray hair in the mix. And I thought, wow, they are missing out. They are missing out on a wealth of experience. They're missing out on a wealth of wisdom. They're missing out on, on the care and concern of those that are older, of generational connection. It was a modern Pentecostal church, and it was fun to be at. But it was so flippin' loud, it scared all the old people away. Genuinely. And I thought, that's just as broken. That's just as messed up. It's great that you've got young people. It's fantastic. But we are called to be a church that's intergenerational. And we've got to move and walk and operate a little bit differently to make that work. And, it's, and it thrills me. I mean, I'm preaching to the converted. I see such a wonderful spread here. And it's just awesome and incredibly encouraging to see. You know, um, I won't go on too much about this more, actually. I'm going to talk about um, Jesus now, my favorite subject. Mark 10, verses 13. The people were bringing little, the, the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them because the culture didn't celebrate children, women, other things. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Whenever Jesus saw people being treated differently or preferentially, he confronted that boldly. We see that in the life of Jesus. Whenever he saw people whose hearts were in the right place or devaluing others, Jesus confronted it. The woman caught in adultery. What a genius moment that Jesus speaks to the issues of the human heart and, and shows incredible grace to a woman who was caught in her worst possible moment. Um, no mention of the bloke in that story. Jesus, when the little children were being rebuked, Jesus was indignant. You know, take note when Jesus is mad because <laughs> it matters. And he's indignant that people would be devalued because of their age. He was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, 
and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. You know, I did this in my church um, the other day. I stood up the front and we got all the kids up the front and I said, let the little children come to me. And they just tackled me. I was on the ground. It was like a stacks on the mill pile. And you know what? I think that is a good picture of what that would have looked like. You know, kids just would have been, wanting, you know, Jesus is the center of attention. They've been listening to their mum and dad talking about him all this time. Jesus this, Jesus that. They want to see him. They want to get a glimpse of him. They want to be close to him. They want to check out what's going on. And they've been pushed away. Finally, the floodgates open. They would have mobbed him. You know, placed his hands on me. He would have, whoosh, you know, kids are kids, right? That would have been a precious thing to watch, wouldn't it? You know, the kingdom of God advances because one generation faithfully passes the message of Jesus on to another. And it advances when, it, when the generation ahead has eyes to see the generation behind. You know, my, um, oh, let's, oh, I might just cut a whole lot of this, guys. Who wants a short sermon today? Everybody. Everybody. Oh, I'll do what? Okay, I'll just go through one more scripture here. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 2. Just as the body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, and so it is with Jesus, Christ Jesus. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Such good news, guys. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Guys, this is good news. Oh, I have to tell a story. There's a guy in my congregation called, um, we're going to call him Steve because my mate here, Steve, he's come visit me. Hey, Steve. Um, and, but this guy in my congregation, we'll call him Steve. And he's a lovely guy. He's got a whole lot of, I mean, he is sweet to the core. He just loves people when he's there. He loves to help. Any chance he can, he'll help. He's there. He's the first one there at church when we turn up. And he's often the last to leave. And, he, and anything, can I help, Scotty? Can I help? I'm like, mate, you definitely can. Anything, you, you know, we, we got him on the team. We got him an ops t-shirt, like a black t-shirt that says ops and crew on it. He's like, yeah, he loves his ops t-shirt. He feels very proud of that. Now, um, Steve has got a whole lot of addictions and challenges in, his, challenges in his life that makes it really hard for him to stay anywhere, one place, especially to live around people. You know, he, he, doesn't, he loves being around people. He's very sweet, but he can't live around people. And, you know, as a... As a pastor, I just love that there's room for Steve in our church. I, I just love that there's room for Steve in our church. I love that there's, there's older people in our church. We've got a lady, 92 years old, sits in the front, sings her heart out. I love that, um, that Steve feels welcome, that, that, that one of our heroes in our faith, Eileen, 92 years old, sits at the front, just loves the Lord. I love that she feels welcome. It warms my heart. Because isn't that a picture of the diversity of the kingdom of God? You've got a guy who's homeless, who struggles to find food and shelter, and you know, I, what, as, I've, as I've seen our congregation grab this, I've seen, I've, you know, the little steps that I see that encourage me is that I saw on Father's Day, sorry, on Mother's Day, a lady um, take Steve home with her and her husband for a shared Mother's Day lunch. So he, on Mother's Day, had a mean feed. Now, Steve doesn't smell so great, but they, they reached past that barrier and they put him in their car and that would have been a trial for 20 minutes in the car with Steve. I, I'm serious. Like That would have been a brutal experience on the, on the nostrils. But they, love, they let love cross that barrier. And I love it when I see this, uh, this uh, Eileen, uh, one of my heroes in the faith, genuinely one of my heroes in the faith, um, when people connect with her. And you know what I love is that she connects with young people. She, at 92, she'll walk over to young people and have a chat, ask them if they're new, and chat to them about her experiences in the faith. 
for way too long sometimes. <laughs> but they love her, you know. And I just love that. It thrills me because there's pictures and glimpses of, of how, as the church, we're to live counterculturally in a culture that doesn't value this stuff. So we are one body, the same spirit unites us. Now, if the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not stop being a part of the body. And it's a great metaphor. The whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But in fact, God has placed parts in the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? There are many parts, but there is one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. If the church is going to be, if the church is going to be compelling, if the church is going to be kingdom-oriented, if the church is going to shape and influence our, our communities, and this even you know, be so brave and bold to think maybe the city, as each one of you live this out, then she's got to be diverse, she's got to be inclusive, she's got to be a, a beautifully connected, loving church. The whole world will know where to out his disciples by how good we are on Twitter, by how we love each other, by how we love each other. Now, who, I guess, is the question I have for each of us to ask in our hearts, who, who are we saying, I don't need you to? Who, when we come to church, don't we want to rub shoulders with? Who, in, when we gather together in life group are we hoping we don't have to talk to you know who are we saying i don't need you to because if there is someone in your heart that you're saying i don't need you i'd, I'd rather not have to talk to you or face you then do you know what the invitation is for your heart to grow the invitation is for you to discover how big love really can be that's the invitation you know i've heard people say oh that person they're so difficult they are extra grace required people who's heard that saying yeah that person's you know what that do you know what that tells us is that we need to discover something about God's grace. It tells me that not that there's nothing that person doesn't need, need to grow. You are the one that needs to experience the wonder and the breadth of God's grace in a new way so that you can love that person like Jesus does. So that you can align yourself with the will of the Father and the motion of heaven to be near that person because God's desire is to be near that person. God's desire is for that person. His love and favor is upon that person. So we need our hearts to expand, don't we? You know, whenever I really think to myself, gee, that person's difficult, it's like, oh God, open my heart. Oh God, grow me again. Like, let me see the wonder of how much you love me again. Humble me, Lord, that I could love like you love. You know, people that are hard work, that are different to us, um, you, know, <laughs> you know, it's a great encouragement, by the way. This is actually genuinely encouraging and helpful as well, if you haven't become aware of this. That for every person that for you, you're like, you know, there is someone that you just do not want to see in a day or the extra grace is required, that there is someone else in this world that is praying before they meet you that day. Oh, dear Jesus, would you please just give me the grace today to have to go face to face with that person one more time? And it's you. You are somebody's extra grace required person. Did you know that? You are. Isn't that encouraging? That someone out there prays before Sundays. Oh, God. If I have to talk to Matt Lilly, <laughs> Lord, would you overwhelm me with your loving grace that my heart could expand that I could love him like you do. You know, so that's true, that you're someone's extra grace required person. And, and that is an encouraging thing. Oh God, would you grow your church in love that we would have the extra grace we need to love one another like you love us. That we'll be willing to let the power of God's love push us past our objections and past our opinions so that we can discover the person who is the object of God's affection. 
So Titus 2 gives us some instruction. Teach the older men to be temperate and worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith. Here you go. <laughs> I've joined you, old men. I'm 40. <laughs> oh, that's a bit insulting, actually, isn't it? Um, teach, you, teach, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Because what we haven't learned you know, through the difficulties of life is how to persevere and endure through difficult situations, haven't we? We've learned that we can experience joy in the midst of pain. We've learned that even in loss, we can know, we can know the Spirit of God on us. We can know that God provides even in our worst and darkest moments. We know that, and young people desperately need that. We know that we can hold both joy and pain in each hand in life. We've learned that. You know, I was just chatting with someone today who's come out from surgery, and they're a Christian. Here they are, woo, you know, but the, you know, we, we walk in joy and pain. We don't, you don't ever get to hold just one often in this life, do we? And so that's what we have to offer. Teach these, the older men to be like that. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverend in the way they live, not to be slanderers or drink too much. Or, but to teach what is good. Like, you know, this, these are great instructions. Teach what is good. They can urge the younger woman to love their husbands and children, be great family, and to be self-controlled and pure, which is sorely wanting in our generation, self-control. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. You know, there's another passage which I think is one of the most intuitive things ever, and it is to remember those that spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. I think young people are desperate to, to consider. I think young people do consider the outcome of our lives. And if it's good, they'll imitate our faith. And so there's, but we've also got to be around them to make that happen. So what I'm inviting you to, guys, is that we need one another. I'm inviting you to see that we need one another, to cross your opinions, prejudices, or you know, your objections to other people's, um, you know, the way they dress, whatever it might be, to experience the love of God for yourself that you can show it to others. That's what I'm inviting you to, because we desperately need teenagers in our church. Who's a teenager here? Give me a shout out if you're a teenager. Oh, you guys are too shy or too cool to be teenagers. I like, uh, don't even want to admit it in front of people. Um, but we need teenagers who bring fun and freedom into the church if we let them. We desperately need young adults who bring joy and uh, fresh eyes and passion into the church. We need them, don't we? They'll bring joy, passion, and new life into the church if we let them. We desperately need young families who bring new life <laughs> into the church, children who bring, but we've got to let them. We've got to make room for noisy kids. We've got to be cool with mess and tantrums and you know, all those things that come with children. We've got to be cool with that. We've got to let that happen. We desperately need seniors, those, that are, those with snow on the roof but a fire in the hearth. We need, those, we need the seniors to bring wisdom, depth, stability into the church. You know, if you go to a party and there's an old digger or an old lady sitting in the, in a, on a couch and there's a cat in the room, whose knee does the cat sit on? Because they know they're not going to move. You know, they know. I'm going to the old person because, you know, they, actually, I think I got that from Matt Lilly. Matt Lilly was talking to me about that one day. The old person is going to sit there quietly and calmly. They're not going to move. And the cat's, you know, that's, and we need that in the church. We need that stability, that sense of um, safety. And it's an, it's an incredibly helpful thing. But we've got to let the older people in our churches. We've got to respect them when they say, man, that sound is sore on my ears. Can we, you know, like, let's talk about how we can make that work and understand each other and work with that. 